1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by USCfootball.com. I'm your host, Keely are joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling. We have a lot to talk about tonight. It's a Monday night, a special Monday night edition of Tunnel Vision, USC, coming off a Sunday night game, beating Wazoo 38-13. We'll get into that. Of course, we have some breaking news that happened this morning. Pally EA, Naote Ote, surprisingly, enters the NCAA transfer portal. We'll get into that. And also, like I said, since it's a Monday, it's technically rivalry week. USC is going to face off uh, and face UCLA on Saturday. A whirlwind schedule for USC, especially if they are set to face, uh, if they're going to be in the Pac-12 Championship. We'll get into that as well. All the implications. Colorado as well. Twitter seems to be very fired up for Colorado, Ryan. We'll get into that. Yes. You guys can call us 5124-TUNNEL. We love talking to you guys. You can also tweet at us, hashtag TunnelVision. I'll put your tweet up on the screen. And wherever you're watching, I believe we're live on all three platforms YouTube, Facebook, and Periscope. Put your comments, questions, concerns, we'll do our best to answer them. Guys, like I said, a lot to talk about today. First off, let's start with the newsier item of the day. Pal EA enters the transfer portal, the junior. He's been out for a while with a concussion. I think I asked Clay Hilton last week about it and how that was progressing. He said he wasn't uh concerned for the most part, you know, concussions take time. The brain is a tricky thing. So he said that this is around the timeline that he would expect for EA to take in his recovery. But he en- enters the transfer portal. Ryan, what do you make of these, this news?
2: Yeah. So, Keely, you did ask Clay Helton that about Paliye uh, no totte, uh last week. And the answer he gave, like, your kind of meter sort of started to go beep, 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 beep like, oh, it could take sometimes 14, 21 days for these things to happen and. You know, I I think that's possible for sure, but something didn't sit quite right. It made me feel like maybe there's something else uh, going on here. I thought you might see him back uh, for the Washington State game. He obviously had the the week off. So, I mean, you get the concussion against Arizona. You play Utah. He's out. You get a week off. You play Washington State a week later. I mean, now you're talking, you know, four weeks of time. uh, What's really going on there leading into the Washington State game? Um, So, it's something didn't seem quite right don't know exactly what it is yet but just the you know your spider sense goes off a little spidey sense it goes like <laughs> beep but beep, beep, beep. Sp- you know something wasn't quite right so he goes to the trench report i'm like okay so maybe your instincts or my instincts or whatever people were thinking about that maybe there is something uh more there so we'll have to wait and see uh, we just don't know at this point clay helton does like to keep the door open they're not going to cut him off if he elects to come back in a week or two or whatever clay Alton's just his policy has not been to shut the door other coaches if forget someone enters the transfer portal they just get cut off and they're out for good that's not the case here so it'll be interesting to see what kind of develops you know obviously this just happened this morning but something just didn't seem quite right about his time being out and we've seen medical issues sort of linger in the past for USC I mean it could be a two-year thing, like a Daniel outdoor baby, he eventually transfers out. This wasn't that long, but it just seemed a little long for what was going on. We weren't really getting a lot of updates. Not being able to see practice, too, I think doesn't really help. But something didn't seem quite right. A little fishy for me, Keely, and now we see he's in the transfer portal.
1: Shotgun, do you share the same skepticism that Ryan has? Uh, my BS
2: meter was not going off like
1: Ryan's, apparently. but Just because
0: uh, this is concussion you've seen that concussions can end people's careers, you know, especially when they have multiple concussions. He obviously had one a couple of years ago against Colorado. Um, he's a hard hitting guy. So there's no telling if he possibly had one in high school or not. Um, you know, I don't know his back, the high school history or anything of injuries like that. So, you know, I, I, anytime there's concussion, a head injury, I just kind of back away from it. Head, neck, spinal. I'm not touching. I'm not judging, you know, when someone yeah. returns on any of those type of injuries. Um, but, as the you know the news comes out and things are developing we're hearing that maybe there was a little bit more to to this than just you know his, his concussion you know his brother has been committed to usc for like 300 years it feels like <laughs> um i don't know i think it's two or three years now um and there's been a lot of chatter about how he's not going to be a part of this class at the when all is said and done and the usc kind of wasn't talking to him much uh, in the last few months so you know i'm sure that, that doesn't help, you know, when you have your brother and you expect him to be coming to play with you and then, you know, things just aren't working out for him uh, to be able to join the USC recruiting class. So I'm sure that, you know, that's just an extra thing that can help push it over the edge. So I think this, this feels like it might be more of a confluence of things rather than just one thing in particular.
1: Does it seem premature to you guys, just given the fact that he is has been out with an injury and... and- at times, it feels like he, that inside linebacker still needs that depth. Even though he's struggled at times, there's still need for a, a body there, you know?
2: There's a big need. And, uh, you know, Shotgun, I think, pointed this out in one of the tweets where, you know, when this news was breaking. But having both EA and Raylan Goforth out for this game... Caused USC to shift their defensive, you know, philosophy entirely, and have yeah. Talanoa Funga come in and, and play linebacker, or Drake Jackson dropping back a little bit. Um, they really had to change what they were doing. Now they could still use Raymond Scott, and they could still use Kenai Mauga, but I mean, they just work on it. They don't have the depth there, and they want to put trusted athletes on the field. So you move a guy like Talanoa over there and, and let him play the position. So I think it's definitely certainly a position of need. He's a you know former five-star player. But, you know, like Chuck had said, maybe there's like a confluence of of issues here. But we've seen athletes at USC get frustrated by the time that they'd have to be away from the game for whatever medical reasons that maybe they disagree with what's going on with the USC doctors. It's just something that's happened multiple times. So that's why my kind of instincts went there. We don't know for sure of what's going on. But, you know, like having his brother, you know, apparently dropping off the recruiting class. All this kind of happened at once. It just doesn't seem like a coincidence to me.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I think that USC, you know, we, you know Chris Hummer, who, who wrote the story for, for 24-7 Sports, uh, that he was in the transfer portal, said that you know, USC hasn't taken away his financial aid You know, they're still pushing to get him back, to to get him back. And that's happened a couple times where, you know, guys have, you know, put their paperwork in to enter the transfer portal and then return to USC. So they're going to work on him. They're they're not pulling the plug on on this. It's not a, um, you know, a mutual split where both parties are just like, yeah, this has to be done. USC is going to try to get him back. You know, they really like what he did, uh, what he was doing in Todd Orlando's defense in camp. You know, I think the first couple games, I think all the linebackers were struggling a little bit. I think you saw, you know, the big jump that Kanai Malga and Raylan Gofor took in uh, that Utah game, and then Kanai played pretty well um, in the last game, and Talanoa playing in that position was terrific, uh, if you want to include him as well. So I think the linebacker position really stepped forward the last couple games. So I thought that if Paglia and Itioti had been out there, I think he would have done the same thing. So a lot of people are talking about underdevelopment and, you know, just, you know, is he even good? There's a lot of that chatter on our message boards and stuff. I think he would be playing really well right now. Um, Just with the the talk from before the season with Todd Orlando, because Todd Orlando has been pretty straight with us about, you know, his position group in particular, the linebackers. And he said that, that EA was playing really well, so I would have suspected him to have been playing if it wasn't for the concussion, the injury there. Um, if he had been playing the last couple of games, I think he would have been doing pretty well. So I think USC is going to do what they can to try to get him back in the class, and it's really important just because of how thin they are at that position. Yeah. Um, if they lose him for the rest of the season, you know he goes in the transfer portal and he's done. You know they they'll probably get Raylan go forth. You hope to get him back this week. Uh, But still, you you got at least two games left and USC is really, really thin right now at the inside linebacker position and the outside linebacker position. So, you know, the the Talanoa Hufunga move worked really well this game, but UCLA is not going to have a similar passing attack as the run and shoot uh, of of, uh, Washington State. So I don't know if it'll fit exactly the same with the way they want to run the ball more.
1: Shakun, you touched on it, but does this EA move have to look at the force us to look at the broader picture of maybe the underdevelopment of linebackers at USC of late? Is it worth uh, looking at that picture, or is this specifically an EA issue, and that's why he he entered the transfer portal?
0: I I mean, there has been underdevelopment at that position because of the number of four and five star guys that have come in and either just just haven't panned out to the expectation level. Um, You know, the one guy that succeeded those would probably be Cameron Smith. Um, and he's a guy that was probably underrated coming out of high school, but he came into class and he was the fourth highest, the, the fourth rated linebacker in that group. Um, and he's the one that, that you know, I, I think they, he took a chip on his shoulder and worked harder than some of the other guys maybe. Um, uh, but it just doesn't seem like they've all been put in the positions to where they can succeed the best at times. You know, they're being asked to do things that aren't always, you know, fitting to their playing style. Um, so there's been some issues with that. There's just, you know, guys just not, uh, consistently getting better, you know, kind of plateauing. We saw that with, with a couple of guys as well. So, um, I, I think that the linebacker development will be much better under Todd Orlando, but it just wasn't, ha- it hasn't happened consistently in the last five or so years.
2: Yeah. You got guys like and Wosu who comes in as like a safety and a three-star good, you know, does really well. And he's, you know, he, he had three sacks in a game a few years ago. I mean, he, he was a great player. But then you also have, like, the Osa Messina's of the world that come in as, like, these all-world five stars and, and flame out. And, you know, obviously he had off-field issues and stuff too, but there just seemed to be too many of those at that position.
0: Yeah, you have Osa Messina, you have Levi Jones, you have John Houston Jr., who just didn't really get better in his career. Um, you know, poor Augustin was injured the entire time. You know, if you count Uchenna, like, he, he's a, a rare case, um, but he's also more of a pass rusher than necessarily, and poor Augustine probably falls in that too. Uh, But there's other guys, you know, Scott Felix when he came in or Jabari Ruffin when they came in. They were expected to be really, you know, really important dudes when they came in. Lamar Dawson got the number 55. What did he do in his career? Injuries again there. Uh, So there's just been a number of guys that just really haven't, and maybe it's even more than five years. It's probably 10 years now, you know, going back to when Pete Carroll left.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Scott on uh, Periscope said that linebackers have done better. I think they have, and it's... I think they've done better just even the last couple of games, obviously. Yeah. It just I think it took a little while for the system to kind of come into place. But like Shotgun said, I think if EA was playing, he'd be playing well, too. So the people that are kind of poo-pooing him, like, oh, he sucks... I. I, w- I wouldn't agree with it. I bet you, you know, the, the way they got rolling, I think he would have been playing well also in this uh, system the last couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, well, let's jump into the game, last night's game. Uh, it seemed like USC was going to blow out Wazoo from the start. It was mm-hmm. a, a impressive first quarter for USC. I want Ross St. Brown, uh, <laughs> after having no touchdowns for the start of the season, comes out and has four. He's like, you know what, I'll take care of that stat really quickly in this first quarter. Um, I know Wazoo was playing man shotgun how much of that was just because they didn't have the bodies that they needed and they just had to go to man or was it just because it was a, a Utah thing where they just wanted to be stubborn
0: uh it's hard to say why they chose to play that defense it wasn't always man you know the the play that set up I think it was Amon Ross last touchdown uh Drake London had a 30 yard catch right over the middle that was against zone um you know I just don't think that they the guys that they had in there were used to playing zones they weren't able, I don't think they felt confident to play it as consistently as some other teams have been against USC. Um, they, they mixed it in there and they used it more in in the second half and then tried to come up and hit, um, some of the underneath throws and Keaton Slovis wasn't going to try to, you know, try to fit any tight windows in the second half with such a big lead. So I think that played into it that the the zone looked even better than it, you know, you know, maybe it was if it was a tight game, but yeah, they played man coverage early and USC, you know, uh, attacked them and you know, Amon Ross St. Brown, you know, feasted out there, basically. You know, he had four touchdowns. He only had 35 yards in that first quarter, which is kind of crazy. crazy. Um, which tells you that it wasn't necessarily that USC's offense was really running the table up and down the field, and, I, and I'm not taking anything away from them. They looked great when they had the ball, but give a lot of credit to the USC defense. You know, they created short fields for them over and over again both with the Talano interception, the Elijah Griffin interception. You know, they got a, uh, I think it was a three and out that set up the, the punt that, you know, Tyler Vaughn's returned with 10 men on the field, returned it for the longest punt return of the season uh, and got USC down into Washington State territory once again. Uh, so USC's first drive, they came out and drove it right down the field, and that was a long field, but the rest of them were pretty short, and you know they took advantage of, and made the most of those opportunities, something they haven't necessarily done earlier this season. Uh, I, my stats piece that I did earlier today and published earlier today, I talked about the red zone efficiency. They were four for five in this game. They missed the field goal, Parker Lewis, in the second half, but in the first half, four touchdowns on four trips. Previously they'd, they'd had 10 touchdowns on 19 trips, I think it was or 11 on 20. Um, so they're around 50, 50 to 55 percent. This game you know you start the game with four touchdowns. That, that really changes the whole dynamic of the game versus if you get a couple of field goals there, it's a lot different game, 28 nothing versus you know 17 nothing.
2: yeah mm-hmm. and that, the, the uh, three and out you talked about shotgun and on the punt return, that also was set up by great punt coverage. Um, you know, they pinned, you know, USC, they pinned uh, Washington State deep. It might have been a kickoff coverage, I'm sorry. Kickoff coverage. Yeah, kickoff coverage, pinned uh, Washington State deep. So good play there and kickoff coverage, good play on the punt return. So the, the, the special teams and defensive units definitely set USC up for those short fields uh, in the first half. And, I, you know, usually you guys are plugging this. I got to give a plug to the family feud because I was listening to it. Very entertaining. Chris Trevino was very entertaining, which is, you know, I was laughing at what he was saying. So we need to get him on tunnel vision a little bit too. Uh, but I love the topic, you know, at the end of the, the show about who's going to have more touchdowns. <laughs> so Eric Kromenok had two. Amon Ross St. Brown had none.
1: Prior to the game.
2: Prior yes. to the game. And Shotgun was like, I'm going to take the guy with two. I'm going to, you know, bird in the hand with two of the bush. No way. So, so Amon Ross St. Brown heard that. Catches four in mm-hmm. the first quarter. Uh, I... Look, I, I think we're gonna, shotgun was look, wrong.
1: That's all we need no, to know. I
2: think we're going to go back and look at the tape on this,
1: <laughs> no.
0: see exactly what happened. You know, I'm, I'm not so sure, certain this is exactly what we saw. You know, they, they presented some different looks <laughs> in this question that I wasn't used to. Oh
1: my goodness. we're an execution based podcast, shotgun, <laughs> yeah. and you did not execute.
2: <laughs> I, okay, shotgun. So, so right now, if I gave you, okay, if I give you Eric Krombholz plus four. So he's now going to have a two-touchdown lead again. <laughs> so you're basically
0: is, resetting it. I'm
2: resetting it, but now there's only two games left. Would you take?
0: Well, I think there's still potentially three games left with a bowl right. game. So, sure,
2: okay.
0: No, because they got Amon loose. So, now, <laughs> so part of the reason why I gave that answer is because Amon Ross St. Brown, you know, he, he, he did a lot of his damage last year in the slot. And one of their second touchdown, the longest one of the game, the 22-yarder, the I believe it was, was a slot fade. They had him in there in a four-wide receiver set, and that's one of the plays they really cooked with last year was using that slot fade, both with him and Michael Pittman moving him down into the, into the slot and being able to get them on a nickelback. And that's what happened there. They got him on a nickelback, and hey, if you have a team that's missing a couple DBs, hey, if they have a good nickelback, that guy's getting shifted out to the outside. So the guy that's at nickelback – You know, after you lose a couple DBs, that's a guy you want to attack. And if you can get a guy like Amon Ross St. Brown against him, that's what USC was looking for, those type of matchups. And they were able to attack that when he goes up and makes the catch there. Good throw by Keaton Slovis. That was the difference in this game to me, um, with the offense clicking in the first half, was Keaton Slovis' ball placement was so much better than it was the first couple games.
2: Mm -hmm. While we're on that, real quick, I I talked with Keely about this uh, offline, uh, but Shotgun, I want to get your thoughts on this. So... The Pac-12 players of the week came out today. And offensive player of the week was not for touchdown on Ross St. Brown. It was uh so Jarek Broussard, he had three hundred one yards rushing for Colorado, um, you know, in that big win. But if you watch that game, he kept getting these like seventy-five yard runs. They would get tackled at like the five, and then someone else would come in and like vulture the touchdown away. So he had three hundred one yards and no touchdowns. I mean, he was amazing. Like he really set up Colorado a whole bunch of times, but you weigh that more than four touchdowns. It's never like, it's only happened a couple times in FBS, like in a game, let alone one quarter. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's like a historic thing. I, I think I got to give it to Amon Ross St. Brown. When's the last time there was a 300 yard back
0: though in, yeah. in the PAC 12? I know in the, in the you know historical sense, 300 yard back someone, I think, uh, when you were discussing this on Twitter, I think someone said that, you know, that's like 10th all time in the PAC 12. But when's the last time it happened? You know, running the ball just is not a part of the game as much anymore. So 300 yards stands out a lot. And I'm on Ross St. Brown. Hey, if he gets to 150, 125 yards at least for the game, then, yeah, I think he gets that. But he only had 70 yards for the game. Um, Or he didn't even have that. He had 65.
2: Four. Four
0: tugs. Like, come on. (laughs) I I know, but, like, if if Refrigerator Perry comes in, he gets four one-yard touchdowns. Does he get the award over the workhorse who had 35 carries and ran for 300 yards?
2: Yeah, I, think I mean so. that's
0: that's kind of how it is because USC was given such a short field that I think that's what you're comparing is you know you look at, you got to look at the yardage as well on on that one and 300 yards stay, is a eye popping figure um, in today's game running the ball.
2: Yeah.
1: Okay. Well, let's talk about
0: and when you play on Sunday. You know, there's already votes and stuff.
1: In. I think Chris Chris Trevino said they didn't want to change the graphic, but <laughs> they, probably, they probably they probably don't
2: want to. I'm no longer a voter for some reason. I used to be a voter in the Pac-12, <laughs> and they, they might get mad at me. My podcast of champions, we make fun of the Pac-12. They don't. I'm not a voter anymore.
1: Maybe people don't like that. I vote for um, the Heisman
2: and not the stupid Pac-12 like player that we. Maybe because like, you
1: just said stupid. That's probably well, why. Yeah.
0: Do they even vote on those anymore? I think, I think the the league office just does. I don't. I mean, I don't know for sure. Oh, I know. Maybe they took that away. I yeah. know that in other sports, because I've complained about this in baseball. Because I, I keep up with things a lot better, and I feel like the person who makes the choice in baseball doesn't. You know, you, uh, a pitcher will will strike out fifteen against the the deaf, dumb, and blind, and they get the award. Versus, you know, someone throwing a complete game three hitter against uh, you know the number one team with three and you know, they don't get the award. So yeah. I feel like they don't always pay attention to the the overarching themes. So I, I think that
1: someone from the office just doesn't.
2: It used to be a vote. So maybe they, they stopped doing that now, you know, so.
1: Okay, well, let's make sense of this offensive performance as a whole. I think USC fans are... Kind of bitter about it. It's bittersweet for them because I the the outlook on social media and what fans were saying the first half. They were very excited. You know, this was they were having fun watching USC football. And then you go into the second half. Washington State makes adjustments. It doesn't look like USC can really adjust. They can't run the ball. So what do you make of this performance? And here's the thing. We knew USC was going to have offensive line issues coming into this game. They ended up playing two true freshmen in their first game. So you kind of, you grade it on a curve. But these are the same issues that USC has had, whether or not they had new people in an offensive line. It's hard for them to run the ball. So what do you make of this offensive performance on the whole? You have the flash in the beginning, but then you have the same old problems in the second half.
2: Yeah, I mean, they didn't have the short fields in the second half as much. They, had, uh, they started the half with a short field. Yeah, that's true. I mean, they got a, well, they got a field goal out of that or whatever. Uh, it, to me, I have the issue with, and, and there's different people have different philosophies. It's an air raid, right? So if you can't run the ball, it's because it's a passing offense. Now, this was weird because we've seen other offensive performances where they get 470 yards and only score 33, 40, 34 points. This was 287 yards of offense and, you know, five yards rushing. Uh, you know, so that, that was definitely a problem. But I think if you're looking at this as an air raid and saying like, well, if they can't run the ball, they can't run the ball. This is more of a passing offense It's going to set up the run. If they happen to run the ball well, they happen to run the ball well, which is why I have a problem with what Clay Hilton said after the Arizona game. If you guys remember, USC ran for about 170 yards in each of the first two games. And I'll pull up some of what he was saying here. He says, offensively, I thought the biggest impact for us and I'll keep it back to saying it's critical for us, is rushing yards. Last year, we're sitting in the 120s, averaging 120 per game. We really want to be able to hit a mark of 165, 170, because they talked about that's what Alabama did. That's what LSU did. And he said hit 170 in each and every game. We think it's the difference in winning a championship. So he went on to talk about how important that is to, to run for that much each and every game. Now, Utah is a great front. They didn't get 100 yards. Washington State gives up a lot of rushing yards, and they got five. So to me, to come out and say this is going to be an offense that's running the football at 170 yards a clip is just disingenuous. That's not. Like, if they happen to do that, that's great. But you can't say that and have fans expecting, oh, you're going to be running the ball at this kind of clip. No, it's going to be a passing offense, and if you can run off of it too, that's great. But you're going to get success throwing the football. So I got an issue with, with what it was. If you can't run the football, you can't run the football. but. That's a bigger thing. But I think this more offense is more geared towards passing than rushing, and that's why I didn't like what Clay Helton said after the Arizona game.
1: It's All
0: right, so <laughs> USC was missing four offensive linemen by the end of the game. You know, Liam Jimmins leaves the game. Andrew Voorhees was out. Their two top reserves. Uh, Liam Douglas and Justin Didich were not at the game yesterday. So four offensive linemen. And guess what? There's another team in the country that had four offensive linemen. They're – three starters and one of their top reserves. That would be Ohio State. They ran the ball for 322 yards <laughs> against a much better run defense in Michigan State than Washington State is. Washington State came in giving up – now they don't play two games, but they came in giving up 195 yards on the ground per game. So, you know, even if you take out – and now some of the, a lot of that was Justin Fields. Uh, over 100 yards of that was Justin Fields. So you take out the the quarterback runs, they still ran the ball for like 170 yards and five yards a carry, not five yards for the game. Um, so so don't tell me oh it was injuries or you know it was a young offense alignment. They weren't blocking guys. You know there was the communication wasn't there and you know that's part of you know having young guys in there. But you know I I haven't fully watched the whole game uh, back on the broadcast version, but just watching the first half, the attempts of running then, they weren't getting the blocks. You know they, they were I don't know if they saw some different looks than they expected to see or, or what it was but they you know, they weren't getting enough blocks uh, up front to let the running backs get out and, and make some moves uh, so they, they've got to do better there. Sure you can throw the ball and throw from a bunch of yards and Ryan part of the reason why they didn't have as many yards in this game is because there were less less plays there were less uh, drives in this game with both teams having long, both teams had a ten-play, eighteen or nineteen-yard drive that lasted over four minutes. Eighteen yards for ten plays, um, and then Washington State's last drive being ten minutes and you know thirty-eight seconds or whatever it was. Um, USC's offense had fifty-three plays in this game, yeah. so you know they, their average you know yards per play was still up there, but that's part of the reason why they didn't have as many plays. But if you want to be a team and you, you tell, say, that you're going to try to run for 170 yards, well, you've got to invest in it. And it doesn't feel like they've invested in it. Whether it be not running the ball early or, you know, not attempting anything besides in those short yardage situations or, you know, are you doing enough at practice? It's, it's still a question because when you got into the game, you know, they weren't prepared to, to block guys. And obviously that's a big concern this past week with the COVID issues and not having linemen out there and stuff like that. But there there were other, there were like wide receivers that weren't getting their blocks and tight ends that weren't getting their blocks. And those guys, you know, as far as we know, were not a part of the quarantining for COVID.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. our friend Michael Castillo uh, had a good stat. So there was apparently 16 rushing attempts by running backs. Can you guys guess how many went for four yards or more?
1: Two, I listened to
2: the podcast. Okay. Yeah, only two. There was a five-yard run and a seven-yard run. Like, that's it. So 16 attempts and two of them are successful like that's not that's not good enough I don't care I mean you put a freshman in there he's still six foot seven and 330 pounds or whatever like just go hit somebody you know you're, you're it's a smaller Washington State squad they've given up a lot of yards on the ground if you want to be a championship team and that's what Clayton was talking about after Arizona you got to be able to run the football on anybody, let alone a team that's having a hard time stopping the run.
0: Yeah, so yeah. obviously the question for Clay Helton now is, you know, can you win a national championship running for five yards a game? Because, <laughs> you know, that's what he said. You know, the, the teams were doing that they saw last year were 170, 180. They got five. And, you know, they, the, those 16 carries you talked about by the running backs and 25 yards. So it wasn't all sacks, you know, and, and scrambles from Keaton Slovis and uh, crazy play that loses 50 yards or something. This was just not being able to run
1: the ball at all. Mm-hmm. Let's switch to the other side, USC's defense. I was just impressed by the fact that it just seemed like they had energy on each play. It just looked like they were fired up to play. And Todd Orlando, credit to him, He we saw Raylan go forth not warming up uh, during the warm-ups, obviously, and you go, okay, what is going to happen with USC's inside linebacker? Shotgun, we got into it on instant analysis, and you seemed uh, pretty appraiseful of Todd Orlando. Yeah, I like the idea. I I think
0: especially with the
1: team that they're playing, Washington State, and the offense attack
0: where they are going to be in 10 personnel with four wide receivers across the field almost every play. Even, you know, when they're third and ones, they're getting four wide receivers on the field. Put a guy like Talano Hufunga down the box and, and let him play there, and you know He played as a linebacker in this game. I didn't necessarily think they had to do that, but just having him down there in the box and you know starting from there to have them an extra body that can make tackles inside, um, I, I thought was a great idea. I also really liked the fact that along with that, kind of just moving him down a linebacker, but then all the safety bodies that they put on the field. I mean, you had Max Williams, you had Greg Johnson, you had Chase Williams, you had Isaiah Polamau, and Talanova Funga all on the field at the same time. That's five safeties on the field. So those guys are guys, your safeties can run, they can cover, and they should be able to come down and and make tackles in the box. Um, And, you know, those guys did that, and they were able to keep a mobile quarterback from getting out and getting loose on anything. Jaden Delora, I think he had one scramble for a couple yards. That was about it. Um, So, you know, even when he got out of the pocket, those guys were able to come up and make some hits, and they made hits too. Give them a lot of credit for the hits that they made early. They missed some tackles early. But they also laid some hits on Delora. And after you've been out for three, four weeks not playing, those first couple of hits, when you take some impactful ones, because Chase Williams got him twice. You know, One on a throw, he hit him on a blitz. And then another, when he scrambled, that he hit him pretty good. And then you just saw Delora was looking to throw more than scramble the rest of the game.
1: Mm-hmm. What's it say about Talanoa Hufanga? Just his versatility that he's able to fill in in that role and do it well, I mean, he was all over the place in that game, yeah.
2: right? High praise from uh, Clay Helton after the game. I wrote a little story on it, you know, like, oh, what does he do? He's leading the team in tackles. He leads the Pac-12 in interceptions. It was fitting that he got to play on a Sunday because he's definitely going to be playing on Sundays in the future. Just, an, you know, great guy. You know, the interception leaps over a dude and almost scores on the touchdown there and playing in a position that's unfamiliar to him, something he was just asked to do. So he's a football player. And you like to see it. I, you know, no stock neutral here, Keeley. Stock up for the <laughs> USC defense at Todd Orlando. I thought yeah. that was great. Um, they are definitely trending in the right direction. When you talk about getting better, you know when people talk about, well, they beat you know uh, Utah by 16 and then beat uh, Washington State by 25. that's improvement. It's like you're, uh, you know I'm not going to buy that. But if you look at just watch they do the eye test for the defense, whatever it is, the little changes that they've made they are getting better and they're playing well. And despite missing, you know, two of your key inside linebackers, your two starting inside linebackers are out and they still put in a great performance. Yeah, there was a little issue, some tackling issues early on. Washington State had that good opening drive. Um, but, you know, whatever. Now, After yeah. that, it was like, I mean, they didn't let Jindalora run uh, and, and pick up first downs like you saw with Grant Canell. They, you know, forced him into some bad mistakes. They made him look like a freshman, and he ends up getting taken out of the game. I think that's, you, you got to give props to what Todd Orlando and that defense was able to do.
1: Yeah, and do something that USC doesn't usually do. Their starters were able to rest for the second half, yeah. which is so important on a short week. That's what you needed in that sense. They shotgun? Didn't,
2: they didn't play shotgun, right? Like, they hardly were playing the second half.
0: I, I, I haven't, like I said, I haven't got through the, the full rewatch yet uh, or charting, but I don't think Marlon Tui Pelotu played at all in the second half. Um, I know just looking at the numbers that Pro Football Focus has, those guys played, I think it was 26 and 28 snaps or something like that. 26 and 29 uh, being Marlon Tui, Pelotu, and Drake Jackson. So they basically got like half a game. Uh, So you've rested them up going into a big week where they're going to be really important facing the running attack of uh, you know Demetri Felton and the Bruins that UCLA will bring in. So I think it was great to be able to get you you got some extended time for some other guys. Kobe Pepe, you know, if Marlon Tupelotu, something happens, you know, that's a guy now you feel more confident to put in there or, or to be the backup behind Brandon Pelet. You know, those guys, those younger guys got some opportunities to, to make an impact. And let, let's go ahead and throw this out there because we haven't mentioned him at all. He often gets underappreciated. But Nick Figueroa, he played 19 snaps according to Pro Football Focus. I'll have mine in my charts later. Uh, but three sacks on 19 snaps. <laughs> That's pretty that's darn good, there, That's a guys. good
2: average. Yeah,
0: and now and, and he's got to go and say thanks, Talanoa, appreciate it for two of those because Talanoa got there first, missed the tackle, but you know Nick Figueroa cleaned it up. But that's what you have to do. You know you have to rally to the quarterback with multiple guys. USC did that. You know four sacks in this game. Talanoa sacks uh, you know Delora the final play that he's in there. So I don't know if he came out because of an injury or just an injured ego and they wanted to get him out of there. Uh, but, you know, the defense was swarming all over the place. I thought it was really good the way they put Talanoa in the middle of it. And to be able to get those guys rest, get some young guys some playing experience, because you never know, especially this season, when someone's going to have to step in and, and play. You know, If Cortland Ford could have got in in that Arizona State or Arizona games, if you blow one of those teams out, hey... Guess what? Now he's, he's more prepared when you have to put him in there against Washington State, and he has to start. But no, that's not something that USC was able to do because they haven't been able to, to put their foot on someone's throat until this game. And give them credit for finishing off Washington State before the half. Now you would like to see them, you know, 52-6 uh, to six looks a lot better than 38-13.
2: Yeah.
1: Sure. Now, Ryan, you already said stock up for USC's defense, but I guess on the whole, I'm just going to circle back. I know USC fans were kind of freaking out after ASU and Arizona, and they're like, this is Clancy Pendergast 2.0, but is this really just a case of you didn't have install time or practice time in spring? You have a fast ramp up in training camp, and you just have to get your players used to this new scheme and and gather chemistry with those players. Is that the difference here?
2: I mean, it'd be great if we could watch some of the practices to see it develop, but just the I get about what was going on is, you know, Todd Orlando has his philosophies and he would have liked to have more time to install things and wasn't able to. I think my guess is that there were things that were installed and maybe it wasn't clicking with the players in quite the right way. And he had to make some adjustments to what they were doing. Either they didn't have enough time to get it, but he got it pretty quickly to go from week two to week three. It just seemed like a pretty big difference going from Arizona to Utah. The defense looked like it took a huge stride. And I think some of it was just what they were changing. They were putting the players in a a position to succeed, maybe making their tasks a little bit easier, whatever it was. That's just my sense of something going on there that, you know, yeah, you got got more time to kind of learn what was going on on defense. But also, I think Todd Orlando made a few adjustments to like, okay, I'm seeing what they're doing. They're not really getting this. Let's have them do this. That's going to work a lot better. And it looks like it has. You're seeing these guys fly around. It just looked... Slow on one, you know, the first couple of games, and fast and aggressive uh, on the last couple of games. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, they're attacking more. They look like they were stuck in mud a little bit the first game. You know, they're they're really being aggressive, attacking downhill. But also, you're seeing them start to get the the small tidbits of this defense. I think, like you know, show not showing your hand with the blitz always, because there were times in the first couple games like the quarterback could easily identify that guy's coming, that guy's coming. He's on his tippy toes. Now you're seeing guys faking like they're coming and, you know, stepping a little bit and and crouching, and you're seeing the offensive line react to that, and then those guys drop back. Uh, Talano Hufunga's interception, he came a little bit and then dropped back, put his hand up in a passing lane, tipped it, and then made, you know, a a terrific play, leaping over a guy and all that. But, you know, you're seeing things, small things like that that are showing progression in this defense um, that we're kind of missing those first couple weeks as
1: well. Mm -hmm. Looking ahead, Ryan, I know I said that Twitter has been kind of up in arms about Colorado just because Colorado could go undefeated and still not clinch the Pac 12 South because they didn't get to play ASU or USC due to COVID reasons. If USC takes care of business against UCLA, they will clinch the Pac 12 South. What do you make of that? I guess that's just what 2020 is this year, right?
2: It is. It's funny. Like, it's well, 20, definitely whoever has an opinion. It's like the strongest opinion. Like, I can't believe they're not doing this. Or I can't believe they're not doing the exact opposite. People are really well, into it. Yeah. And like, I, I kind of agree with what John Wilner's saying. Like USC, UCLA, they would like, you know, people want to replace that with USC, Colorado for the competitive advantage or whatever in the Pac-12 South to get those teams teams to play. But that's a primetime ABC game. Like that's, money, like, that's money in the conference's pocket. Like, I think, and we talked about this before. If you have to remake a game because of COVID stuff, that's fine. Like, hey, okay, Utah, Washington, let's have you guys play because you lost both of your opponents. That works. If you're going to cancel a game, this was the first week in the Pac-12 we actually got all the games played. You're going to cancel a game on purpose for, you know, competitive reasons. That just seems like you're going to – you're asking for trouble. Like, you switch the games and then someone gets COVID and then Colorado can't play and it's like a whole big – I mean, oh, my God, what a mess it would be. You know you cancel the USC-UCLA game – I think you have to roll with that. I don't mind the people that are saying, "Well, the Pac-12 isn't going to be in the playoff. Let's delay the ch- let's have a a makeup game week and then a championship week." And then yeah. you have one extra game and doing that. And I, I don't have an issue with something like that, but the people that are saying, "Get rid of UC, USC UCLA." I just I mean, if it was Colorado or Utah, I wouldn't want to get rid of that one either. You know, I just feel like trying to redo the schedule at the end because, "Oh, well, these two teams happen to be undefeated, play them." I, that just never really sat right with me. But there are definitely people on there they that are like, that's what you have to do. I'm like, I, to me, I'm not getting it. They, no one's convinced me that that's going to be the right thing to do. Mm-hmm.
0: Shotgun? I, I, I <laughs> tweeted, uh, you know, when I saw Oregon was losing, that it would, it would be fun if they would just, you know, nix the North because, you know, they all have losses. And, and if USC and Colorado end up uh, undefeated, having them play in the championship. And I said, and people ask me about it. What's the possibility of that happening? I'm like, it's not ever happening. <laughs> the the uh, presidents and stuff in the north, the athletic directors would never allow that to happen. And the Pac-12 is not strong enough to just say, you know, too bad, we'll take it or leave it. You know, we're we're going to do this anyways. So, it, it, you know, it would be great to have that because that would be the best matchup. That'd be best for the conference. You know, to have two undefeated teams on championship weekend playing. But no, that the you know the Pac-12 is not going to do anything drastic like that. Um, it would be great also if they would consider moving you know the season back a week. You know, and the only thing that reason why I would say that it's questionable why you do that is because then you're getting into Christmas time and having the players, uh, yeah. you know, some players be able to go home and stuff for the teams that aren't going to bowl games. That whole process, you know, do you lose a week of practice for bowl games? That kind of comes into it, but it makes too much sense to not just with as many cancellations as there have been, have an extra week. Uh, pretty much every team would be able to play a game uh, that week. And if you if there's teams that aren't playing that game, you know, they don't have a, a, a makeup to, to, to play or there's too many teams that are, you know, matched up together, then, hey, go look for the Mountain West or another conference and see if anybody else wants to play. See if BYU's wanting a game. You know, they would love to play another game. Have, anytime, place, they say. It went across to, to Myrtle Beach and lost, you know, whatever.
1: Yeah. Uh, in the same vein, you kind of already touched on it. Alex said on YouTube, could the Colorado game be potentially made up? Do you see that actually happening, Ryan?
2: I mean, no, because it's <laughs> going to be USC or Colorado with the championship. So if those teams yeah. didn't make it, then they could have made it up. Like, hmm. so if Oregon wins, then Washington Washington State could play, you know, they could make up the Apple Cup. I don't know if you'd ever be able to make up this one. And the only reason you'd want to make it up is to see who gets to the championship game. So at this point, it just doesn't seem likely.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm going to jump into questions unless Shock and you have anything else you want to add on this topic? Andrew says, is it a fool's gold win since USC only got five yards rushing?
0: Uh, I mean, they took care of business and, you know, yeah. they won in the first half and coasted the rest of the game. They shouldn't be coasting like that, but they, there's some positive things to take out of it, so it's not fool's gold in that regard. They're just a better team than Washington State, and they took care of business. Was it pretty? Was it a, a, a full, fully fulfilling win? No, is it ever at USC anymore?
2: Yeah, it's it, that's unfortunate because it had the p- opportunity to have that kind of fulfillment, like oh, finally put it all together. And it's unfortunate that just you know, like you said, coasted through to the end because anyone that was to be very critical of clay Helton. you're looking for something wrong and he sort of like presented you oh here's a whole bunch of things that are wrong i can't rush the ball I'll, you know got outscored in the second half took your foot off the gas all those things and it's just like oh so it would have been nice to see them put together you know a full 60-minute game unfortunately that didn't happen but they really won the game in the first quarter. And then, you know, you, you didn't need to do anything more. But it would have been nice to see that.
1: Yeah. At the end of the day, though, is this the game that you, you take it for what it is? Considering that they missed a game with COVID. They had players out due to COVID issues. And, you and you're and you on short rest. So you get the win and you move on. Like, is this the game where you're going to, like, get that specific over it? Or is it just, you know, this is just a Helton team and there's going to be Helton issues at the end of the day?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that's just what it is. But I, I think you knew... I I didn't feel good about Washington State's chances when you found out that half of their secondary was going to be out for this game. Like, is yeah. it, like what would be the worst case scenario? Um, you know, losing half your secondary against the best receiving core and you know, and maybe the countries. You're like, yeah, that's probably going to be an issue. And to be fair, like, yeah, they they got after though, Jaden Delora. They you took a quarterback that didn't look like a freshman the first couple of games and looked like a freshman. So you got to give the defense credit, but. The DAC was sort of stacked stacked against Washington State when USC was on the on the field because you know they didn't need those short fields. They could have moved the ball up and down the field. I think if they if they wanted to.
1: Yeah, Jasper Smith says, "What are the odds that the freshman offensive guards will have to play against UCLA?"
0: I would assume everyone's back from COVID. We didn't have any positive tests last week, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly. So. Um, I think everyone's window will have passed as long as everyone tests negative, continues to test negative going forward. It seems
2: like it could have been like a contact later in the process. They still do the 14-day thing. They haven't switched to the CDC 7 to 10 days. So, but yeah, I think like shotgun's right. I don't think that's going to be. They yeah, should be
1: out of the window. Um, Jasper also wanted to know, any update on Greg Johnson? We did not get that. Helton is on Trojan's Live, I believe, right now. So if he's giving an injury update, we won't hear it yet. Um, but we will talk to him at 7.45 tomorrow morning, bright and early. So we'll update to you guys on that. But he did come out. He jogged off the first time, but then he had to be helped off the field the second time. So it didn't look good. And he had a ominous tweet uh, earlier today. So stay tuned for that. Not uh-huh. sure about that. He, well, he said it was a setback, and usually when players do that, that means it's a, a significant injury. So there's only a
2: couple games left. It's yeah, you know, True. You know, if, you're, if you're well. going to miss a game or two, like you're pretty much, yeah.
1: Andrew on YouTube said, if Talanoa played lights out at Mike Linebacker, why isn't he playing that all the time?
0: Because that's not his position. Yeah. He's a safety. I mean, that's a simple uh, answer there. If you have a downhill running team, like UCLA is going to show some looks of that. Um, you know, he, he's still not he's not two hundred and forty pounds like uh Pali and Itte, or even two I don't think he's two twenty-five like you know, like a Raylan Goforth, those type of guys. So that extra weight comes into play when teams are running straight at you. Uh if you remember Mike Leach did this, one of my, my favorite back and forth moments with Clancy Pintergast, Clancy put in Matt Lopes and used him as a linebacker. Um, to have an extra safety on the field in a similar type of situation because they were throwing the ball all over. And as soon as Leach saw that, he ran straight at him three or four plays in a row, and Clancy had to yank him off the field and put a, a, a true linebacker back in there.
2: Yeah, yep. Magic Johnson can play center. He had to do that before, but they're not going to keep him at center. Like This is not his position. But he's good enough that he could play it. Talano good enough he could play linebacker, but that's not where he's going to stay.
1: John on Facebook says, why do Hilton and Harrell refuse to – feature a running back it seems like they rotate backs every series and none of them can get into a flow
2: i don't know if they refuse to feature but just
0: i mean none of them can get into a flow when they're being tackled a yard at the line of scrimmage yeah you know a yard before or after the line of scrimmage and
1: that's what the case was last night Mm -hmm. um andrew says was spinning the ball after the fourth touchdown really justifiable of a 15 yard penalty yeah you're
0: gonna get one when you do that um, and he, he's allowed to do that after you score four touchdowns in one quarter. Yeah, that's that's a that's a classic Amon Ross St. Brown move. Uh, that was his go-to high seven on stuff, seven yeah. circuit. Uh, you know, because he was scoring touchdowns all over everybody. He would, usually he would sp- he would go up, make a play over somebody, leave them laying on the ground, and spin the ball right beside them. Yeah, this one not as much. And it was also interesting to me that the uh, official that threw the flag wasn't the one standing like three feet away from him. It was someone from way. Which is a new official. The line judge is a, a younger official in the Pac-12. It was someone, in the, I think, the back judge or someone back there.
1: Someone brought up uh, uh, Amon-Ra at the All-American Bowl. Didn't he like run 80 yards in the opposite direction when he scored a touchdown? He punted the ball. I think I think it was him that punted the ball into the stands. <laughs> he like took it and ran it and because the ball.
0: he he punted the ball to the troops that were there because the Army All-American or was the Army All-American yeah. Bowl. So the troops that were there.
2: He wanted to to get the ball to them. He always had a few antics, for sure.
1: (laughs) Trojan Trojan on YouTube says, who
0: was the punt returner for USC? Number 28 would be Tyler Vons. And the reason why he wears number 28 is because Isaiah Polamau is supposed to be on the punt return unit as well. Uh, So you can't have the same number. So they put a slip jersey on. This happens a lot in college football, Um, especially when starters have the same numbers and they both play special teams. But on that play... That was the play after Isaiah Pullman him out almost had the interception, you know, the diving attempt, and he didn't come up with it. He kind of got in his head and he ran off the field. And then, you know, they had 10 guys. And even crazier to me on that play, that it's the longest punt return of the season, is that Isaac Taylor Stewart is, you know, who's one of the is the, the blocker on the outside edge, you know, to block the gunner um, from you know Washington State. He's turned around, turned to the sideline, yelling and saying, Hey, we only have 10, we only have 10. And the guy goes running right by him, so there's no block on the outside at all. There's like three guys that should have been right in Tyler Vaughn's face, and instead he makes one little subtle
1: move, gets outside, and picks up 15 yards. Nice. Speaking of... Right, real quick,
2: Andy wants to know, how slow is his hand?
1: He said it was fine. He yeah. said that he, basically, his funny bone got hit and he couldn't really move his fingers, but he said he was fine.
2: Yeah, so he had to miss that one series. But, yeah, it sounded like those funny bone things can be kind of weird. Yeah. But it was weird, too, that he came, came back into the game. You're like, eh, yeah, at this at that point, point, just let Matt Fink, you know.
1: Yeah, at that point, you don't need him and save him. But, yeah. you know, uh, we talked about Tyler Vaughn. Justin Smith wanted to know, what are the odds that Tyler Vaughn returns next season?
0: I just don't know what you're returning for. You know, if you think that you have a future as a professional football player, then it's time to go. I don't, I don't know what there is to come back. Um, you know, if, if he's getting his degree this year, I mean, I I don't think that he's close enough to be getting a grad degree at the same time. So I don't know exactly what's in it for him to come back besides trying to set some records and how important are records to you? That's, that's kind of the the question.
2: It would be pretty unique. Like you could be a six, you know, six year and like set all kinds of records and stuff, but yeah, you're right. If you, if you want to make a living, like. You've done enough in college. Like now, it's go out and uh, try to make a living playing football in the NFL.
1: So we have some news uh, on Trojans Live from Clay Hilton. So Greg Johnson and Jude Wolf will be out for the rest of the season. Granted, the season is only a couple games, but they will be out. I did note on Twitter last night that there was a Trojan walking very slowly to the sideline with a boot on his foot, and that ended up being Jude Wolf. Uh, so that is the update right now. Of course, we were not uh, able to listen to Trojans Live because it happened right now. Um, and but- you guys
0: obviously weren't able to listen because you know the better show to, to watch. Yeah.
2: Oh, spicy. First of <laughs> all, I appreciate you, all you guys watching us when like the USC official shows are somewhere else. So thank you for watching.
1: Yeah, so Shagun, what does that mean for the defense if you have Greg, Greg Johnson out for the rest of the year?
0: So it, it changes the options that you have in that back end. Uh, so when Greg Johnson left in this game, what happened? USC decided to go, hey, we got three really good cornerbacks. Let's throw one of those guys in there to play in that slot position. So Chris Steele actually went in and played in the slot alongside of Elijah Griffin a lot of times So and with Isaac Taylor Stewart on the other side. So he played more of a nickelback position in this game, which is what that Greg Johnson, Max Williams position, had you know, those guys were nickelbacks in the last defense. Now they're technically safeties. So you could see them do something there where Chris Steele gets on the field a little bit more. Chase Williams, I thought, played fantastic last night um, from what I've rewatched and from what I saw uh, during the game. Thought he was great. He gives you that option as well. And Max Williams, obviously, has played really, really well. You know, he made some great tackles out there. He, you know, knocked a couple passes away. There was a third-and-one situation, I think it was. He made the tackle right at the line of scrimmage to keep them from getting a first down late in the game. So he's been playing fantastic. He's not that big, but he's a playmaker. Those are the type of guys you like to see. So there's some options there, but it changes what you can do in the back end as far as doing something like they did last night with a, you know, a a quote unquote quarters package with seven or uh, with seven DBs on the field. Um, You know, the dime packages they've done, they've done some three, two, six, they've done some four, one, five, um, you know, or four, one, six, excuse me. So they've done some different things in the back end, but you know you're you're limited just because that's one of the guys that you trust to do to play a couple of different spots there, whether it be over the top or down at the line of scrimmage and do some different things. But they got some quality backups. So the secondary was going to be one of the, the deepest positions on the on the team all season.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously for Jude Wolf, he's someone who his playtime decreased as the season went on just because he had that ankle injury that Helton mentioned before. Do you see much changing shotgun with the the tight ends? No, I don't think so. I mean, Josh Follow did make his season debut last night, and that
0: was uh, solely on uh, the kick units, you know, extra points and stuff, until the, the last drive of the game he was in there to help block. and they, I think he was only in for like one play, and then they brought in some walk-ons. So maybe you see Josh Follow get in the mix a little bit more. The tight ends just, they, they still need to play better. Mm-hmm. You know, Eric Cromahook has looked good catching the ball with the two touchdowns. But just as a unit, they're not blocking well enough to do what this offense wants to do on the run game, and that's a big part of it because those edge defenders being able to crash in have given usC trouble all season, um, and a lot of times it's been on you know the wide receivers and the tight ends, not necessarily the offensive line all the time
1: mm-hmm. We actually have a caller on the line, so Can let's... I also point out that
0: sure. you saw Jude Wolf, but I was the one who confirmed it, and you don't even give me no credit. I
1: don't what uh, okay, sure, no I mean credit.
0: no credit right <laughs> okay.
1: There. Oh, let's go to the caller on the line. Hello, you're live on television. Vision.
2: Hey, how are you guys doing?
1: Good, how are you?
2: Pretty good. So um, I didn't really have a question, but I just kind of had my perspective. I know a lot of people are talking about them not being able to rush or get any yards yesterday, but against both Arizona schools, we, we I think we rushed for about 175. And then against Utah, we rushed for 93, which isn't, you know, a whole lot. But against Utah, I think that's a pretty good number. And then um, yesterday, we we exploited their their secondary that we knew was depleted. So I think we took what we got. And and I know I would like to see that number be a little bit higher on rushing, but um, I don't know. I think maybe I think maybe we just took what we got. And and I think our rushing uh, is fine. It's just wasn't there yesterday I don't know what do you guys think well thanks for the call and yeah I mean I agree as far as like this is not a rushing offense it, I think to to say to tell people that it is it would be disingenuous it's real it's a passing offense that you can run off of too. They can have a short passing game with the running backs and be kind of extended runs or whatever. But this is going to be an offense that, if it's successful, it's because Keaton Slovis is throwing to great wide receivers, and that's the greatness of what this offense is. they got some really good running backs, um, but for whatever reason, that's just not the focus of this. And I feel like when Clay Elton says, we want to run for 170 yards each and every game, then it doesn't matter that Utah's got a great front. you still got to be able to run the football. It doesn't matter that... Whatever, Washington State was depleted in the secondary. You should still be able to run the football. So, uh, you know, I, I, you give a little bit of a pass for Utah. It's hard to give a pass for what happened against Washington State. You have to have some – you have to have more success than what you're doing on the ground. So that's something that what the coaches were saying. So that's why I would say that just was not good enough five yards rushing.
0: Mm-hmm. And if you, if you only ran the ball ten times and you got 40 yards and you still ran it for four yards and you just did, chose not to run – but when you attempt to run, you just can't, that's when it's an issue. Um, and it wasn't all like, oh, we just tried to run short yard situations. They couldn't run early on, early on downs. Their average third, uh, third down was 8.7 yards. And that's what happens when you don't run, you're not able to run the ball. You're third and long every single time you have third down, and that's an issue. Hey, you may be able to beat Washington State's backup DBs, but hey, if you can't run the ball against UCLA, are you going to be able to do the same thing? You know, it's, you got to look forward with it too. You know, the, their rushing yards is de- are declining from the last three games. That's where the issue lies. You could say, hey, well, Utah's got a really good front, so we'll take that one. We only ran for 93 or whatever it was. Okay, well, the next game, you got to come back and you got to get back on track against a team that's not a good front. You know, they're giving up 195 yards per, on the ground per game. You got to run for more than five. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: What was your favorite rushing yard shotgun? Did you have a favorite one? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Quincy Junty?
2: Yeah, he did. He got those four at the end, four yards at the end. To, to, and just, USC had one yard until like the, the, the garbage. Well, he also hit. destroyed a guy on one.
1: Yeah, yard. the sideline lit up because of that. You could hear it throughout the Coliseum. Yeah, I just heard the hit.
0: I couldn't because it was kind of in a pile. Who was going into a pile? I lost track of it, and I just heard it, and I was like, oh, somebody got popped.
1: Yeah. That's what at practice we could hear that too. He was a he was always popping people. Uh, we had a question from Oscar who says, "If USC can't run the ball versus the Bruins, it's going to be a long day." What's what do you guys say?
2: It's a it's. A, I mean, this is a team that you know has never been above five hundred under Chip Kelly. They are now at three and two. Uh, you know, looked pretty good. They similar game against Arizona State. They come out with a lead early and then sort of, you know, cruise to victory at the end. They had to come back, uh, you know, on ASU there. Um, But I I like the way UCLA's playing. The defense is fun. They're aggressive. uh, They're getting after people. And they really run the football well. We didn't see a lot of Dimitri Felton uh, on Saturday for whatever reason. I don't know if he was hurt or what. I didn't didn't hear after the game. Uh, But they still ran the ball effectively. It was a little shaky with DTR there. Like He came back uh, from his COVID stuff. And he he had some good plays and some bad ones. But he definitely is a mobile quarterback. He can run. But I think... He'll probably run around the backfield. You will also get some sacks. You just have to prevent, you know, you get a few of those, but you can't also let them take off for 40 yards too. So I think you do have to run the football more effectively against uh, UCLA, but they're super aggressive, especially on early downs. They like putting a bunch of people in the box uh, and just coming after you. And they've just done a really good job of that. I think USC might have to exploit the secondary or the corners that are going to be on islands a little bit early on, and that might open up the run game a little bit. But if it's a similar kind of thing, I think UCLA is going to have success if USC can't find a way to run the football.
0: Keenan Senior is in the uh, the YouTube chat and said that they should run number twenty three off tackle a little bit more. <laughs> Not saying that's a bad idea. You know, it
1: sounds like a good idea. Throw
0: some wheels out there. Um, I was going to look. I'm looking up uh, something real quick on Keenan Slovis. When he's been blitzed this season, he's 26 of 33. So he's throwing for 79% uh, with five touchdowns and no interceptions. So if they want to blitz, I think USC will be like, yeah, come on, bring yeah. it. Because uh, that's been, you know, Keen Sloves has done really well at identifying and attacking the, the vacated spots and stuff there. But they do. They have to run the ball better. You know, it, for one, it just allows you to control the game more you know, USC was able to score all those points early but it, they never controlled the game really as far as the tempo and you know how the game was being played um, that was you know Washington State had the ball for forever and they were able to do that in second half, it doesn't it didn't matter as much, but you want to be able to do that in a rivalry game and game you expect to be a little bit closer than it was last week or, or yesterday against Washington State.
2: We will have our preview show on Wednesday, so we'll dive into more UCLA talk. Yes,
1: we'll be back really soon, yeah, couple so don't days. worry about yeah, it. it. Yeah, it's a
2: quick turnaround. Speaking We're... of
1: which, it's almost the top of the hour, so we'll wrap this puppy up pretty soon here. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Stewart on YouTube said, any indication that the new California COVID restrictions will impact the team further, i.e. travel restrictions, hotel reservations for visiting teams, etc. Cedra.
2: Doesn't seem like it right now. There was the you guys had a restriction in the press box where it couldn't eat. No longer could eat in the press box. Yeah, or so, drink
1: water technically.
2: Yeah. So there's some weird little things like that, but I don't think there'll be anything to prevent. There won't be a move the team out of state like we saw with Stanford. At least we haven't seen that uh, from the county yet.
1: Yeah. I feel like, if anything, it will be a PR issue rather than they're concerned about the spread, considering that USC is testing probably more so than the average person is. We know so than the average person. Definitely more so than the average person. So it's not that they are a a threat to the community, if you will. It's just.
2: I wonder if the inside of their noses are going to be a little. uh, You know, those athletes that you get tested every day, like, they get worn out inside your nose. Like, it's, I don't know. Like. You get, like, swords in there, like, oh, too much rubbing from these Q-tips.
1: Oh, gosh, not an image I want to think about. Sorry. Hip-hop lover John said, will Talanoa Hufunga be a first-rounder?
0: See, and this was the question Ryan, you know, kind of immediately put him at safety. But the question is, is he a linebacker, that hybrid linebacker position that's more prevalent in the NFL um, in the last, you know, five or ten years? Um, is that his position? Is he a true, you know, linebacker? Can he play the post enough? There's, I mean, a, a true safety. Can he play the post enough? Those are, there's some questions there on his, you know, just, just flat out speed and whether he can cover the entire field if you, you have to put him back at center field or not. So there's a little bit of question there, and maybe, maybe he's a little bit of, too much of a tweener to be a first round pick. I mean, he's a playmaker, and he's similar. We had a, a question. Uh, I think it was Torian asked, who do you like better, Sua or Hufunga? And I think it's a similar situation where they're a little bit of a tweener, but they're playmakers. So can they, he run fast enough um, at the combine? That, that may determine where he ends up, what teams kind of look at him as. Um, so I don't think he's a first-round pick. Sua went in the second round, I think it was. So I think Hufunga's probably a second or third rounder. Just guessing here, just because I don't know exactly what NFL teams think of him. Yeah, I would, as, guess, what he, position wise.
2: I would guess he's like a second-day guy, but can has a lot of upside. He's one of those dudes like – um, we've seen like the Steelers pick up somebody there and then like they're a stud, you know, I think it's like a smart team picks him in the second or third round and he ends up having a great career.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm going to take some liberties with this question, but Dave essentially said, uh, and this was talked about on the Harvey Hyde podcast with Drake Jackson. Is that the right move that the defensive coaches had for him? Uh, Dave took issues with the fact that uh, last night uh, Drake Jackson only had one assist uh, assisted tackle on the night. So, what do you make of, of Drake Jackson moving to that that outside linebacker position?
2: I you know I didn't really notice it as much. I got to go. I'm not finished watching the game either. I got to go back and watch, and I'll definitely watch what he was doing. But Harvey Hyde was uh, really not happy with what you know because Clay Halton talked about they even dropped him back into play middle linebacker sometimes and. They want to see him coming after the quarterback. Now, maybe some of the stuff he did open things up for a guy like Nick Figueroa. But I, I need to go back and watch. But I don't know. Did you see more of that, Shotgun?
0: They were just trying to... I mean, he dropped into coverage five times according to Pro Football Focus. Oh, so out of 28 snaps, happen. I mean, that's, you know, roughly a sixth of his snaps. And that's a, a good portion compared to what he's been at the rest of the season. He's got 18 coverage snaps so far this season out of 203 defensive snaps. So it's less than... 10% of the time, um, you, you know, it's not like they're doing a bunch. They're not dropping him just to be a coverage guy. They're doing it to confuse the offensive line. And because he draws so much attention, so to allow other guys to get in there, um, he's still, he's got 13 pressures on the on the season. All, three, all those came in the first three games. You know, Marlon Tupiloto didn't have a tackle last night. Should we freak out about it, you know, how they were using him? I don't think so. I think that Washington State and, uh, you know, the way they were attacking USC, you know, maybe wasn't necessarily, uh, you know, the best matchup for those guys to get tackles because they're not running the ball up the middle a lot. So uh, I, I think it just was kind of the, the the nature of the game. Both Drake Jackson and Marlon Tupelo, to give them a lot of credit. If you pay attention to the, the tackles they don't make, there's a lot of times where there's short passes out, and they're there to help out, but the DBs were doing a good job of making the tackles. Mm-hmm. So there there were multiple times where I, I noted in my photos where Drake Jackson or Marlon Tupelo is right outside the play coming to try to help make a tackle near the sideline.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Daniel has this an interesting question that I'm not sure if we know the full answer to. He says, what would happen in, in the South if both the USC and Colorado lose this weekend?
2: I, Ryan? I think it's still <laughs> USC because of the... Number of games played? Yeah, I think there's still no head-to-head, but you go with a division record.
0: Does everyone else have multiple losses? Uh,
2: Yeah, UCLA, Arizona State, Arizona, and Utah all have multiple losses. Yeah, yeah,
0: it would play out the same way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Same
2: tiebreaker.
1: Trek Ranger said, I missed the first half of the game. Did Steven Carr play?
0: Yes, he did, but very sparingly. Yeah, he didn't get much. What do you make
1: of that? Because uh, Keaton Kirsten spelled the Malapai as the first running back to do so.
0: I don't understand what exactly is going on with the running backs. Levi malapai was on the opening kickoff, you know, coverage. Why is your start? If he's going to be the starting running back, which at first I was like, okay, well, you know, the last couple games, you know, the Arizona game prior to a couple guys being out, he was the third running back. They used him in the two-minute drill, but you know, he didn't get a ton of touches or anything. Um, so I was like, oh, the, you know, if he's your third running back, that. Okay, that makes sense. But then he comes in and he's the starting running back. Why is your starting running back on your opening kickoff? That doesn't make much sense to me. So I don't really know exactly what's going on with uh, the running back group, you know, in that rotation, exactly trying to figure it I, I think the problem is they want to get all four guys involved, but they're not running the ball well. So the touches are so limited that they don't know who to put in there necessarily. I mean, Stephen Carr has probably been the best pass blocker. He had a, you know, a big pass block uh, pickup on. On a rollout for Akeem Slovis, but you know, it, I think that that may end up being what you're looking at more than what those guys are doing with their touches, just because there's been so few touches right now.
1: Well, I, I want to know, Ryan, your thoughts of Brew McCoy and Gary Bryant Jr.
2: I mean, Gary Bryant Jr. had like four catches early, like he had two in a row or the like three like on one series. drive. Yeah, it was like a series. It was like the Gary Bryant series. Uh, I don't think Brew. I don't notice Brew McCoy did as much. He had a couple, right? Yeah, or one or something. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I like to see the, the freshman kind of get involved there. I think Brew McCoy is going to get his. I'm not as worried about him. But Gary Bryan's someone that people talked about, sort of getting in the, the mix a little bit. This you know he's had like one or two catches already coming into this one. But to, to have like four or whatever we ended up with uh, uh, last night, I thought that was a you know it was good for him. You want to get those guys playing time. Shotgun talks about it all the time. When you get a big lead, you could just do a lot more. And it would have been nice to see Corlin Ford before last night. But you didn't get an opportunity. Well, now you do. Uh, it's great to see some, some more Gary Bryant and get him some confidence. Those more catches you get, you know, it's going to help him down the road for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. We had multiple questions about Jake Lichtenstein. He did warm up uh, with the defenders and then didn't really see him. Right, Shotgun? Not yeah, sure. I didn't,
0: I didn't see him coming into the game. Um, even on that last drive, you know, they got a lot of young guys some time Dejon Bitten and some other guys, but Lichtenstein was not in the mix.
2: Mm-hmm. Got some Kobe Pepe signing, uh, sightings, right? Kobe, Kobe
0: Pepe played a lot. And that's partly because uh, of Tupeloche not playing. Brandon Peeley didn't play a ton either. So they definitely, you know, wanted Pepe to get a lot of snaps in there. And, you know, he took advantage. He had a couple sna- uh, tackles in there as well. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. All righty. Uh, on any burning questions that you felt needed to be answered? Otherwise we'll wrap this one up. Uh, Og King
0: had one earlier in the in the in the segment and re asked it, but he said, "Do you guys think when a five or four star doesn't pan out, does their lack of development fall more on the coaching
1: or the player themselves?" It's a two way street. Yeah. yeah, you know,
2: it could be a little bit of both. I mean, sometimes players are a five star and they're amazing because of talent alone, and they don't put a lot of hard work into it. Like you get the the Kobe Bryants and the Michael Jordans of the world are. As uber talented as you get, plus they're the hardest working dude around. So there's always a combination there, but I think as a coach too, some of that falls on you. You know, you might get a guy that's not as motivated, and it's your job to to motivate them and make them better. Sometimes just kind of guys max out. I think there could be a lot of reasons for something like that to happen. But the more of those things that are working, like if you have a talent, you, you got the talent, you got work ethic, you got good coaching. I think you can, you can build on that. Maybe the guy's maxed out, but you can still actually build on it if you have all those things working. But if none of them are working, then you're just going to see the guy that you saw in high school. And that's, that's where you see guys just never get better and they just go away.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you
0: know, the best coaches are able to find a way to get to players, you know, same as teachers with students. Um, but there are some out there that are talented, but you, you, no one can reach them. So, uh, you know, Osa Messina, you know, since you brought him up earlier, all the talent in the world, but he wasn't getting anywhere at USC. Um, so there's other players that stayed on the team that also had similar situations where they just weren't improving because they weren't putting in enough work uh, on their own as well. Mm-hmm. He was
2: a weird one. He looked like it was getting worse. Like, it just, his, like he didn't look as fast as he was in high school. Like something was off. Like it just, there was something. Yeah, he looked like it got worse in college.
0: There could be some reasons for that, but we'll, we'll leave that. Yeah, we'll yeah. leave that, right we'll let that. And one last one, Jasper asked, uh, if Devin Kirkwood committed to USC Recent, Gardena Serra decommit from UCLA. What position would he play, wide receiver or DB? USC is looking at him as a defensive back, primarily.
1: There you go. All righty, that's going to wrap it up for this week's, no, today's show. We'll be back in two days. We'll be <laughs> back on Wednesday, really quickly. So uh, we'll be previewing USC's matchup against UCLA, so make sure you stay tuned to that. Uh, but that's going to wrap it up. That's Shotgun. That's Ryan. I'm Keely. We'll see you all on Wednesday.
2: Bye. See ya.